I was thinking this week about a song, and uh, I was thinking about it because it, it's a memory that comes back to me and, and a kind of, of a moment of a, of a teary moment, kind of. One of my heroes in this life is my little grandson, Brody. He's now in the fifth grade, but when he was two years old, he discovered, we discovered he had retinoblastoma, which is a tumor that attaches to the retina of the eye and threatens to spread throughout his entire little body. And so Brody <clears throat> begins to go under, under uh, treatment in Miami, uh, chemo, um, and, and you know how that is and the sickness that goes with that. And it seemed like life was all about um, uh, hospital visits and doctor visits and, and MRIs and sharp needles and blood transfusions and ports and all the stuff that come with that. And yet little old Brody was brave through it all. And I always think about that. But one of my favorite moments with Brody during that experience as we were riding down to Miami, frankly, going to check about the possibility and the probability of him losing that eye. It got to the point that the tumor was not responding well, and so he was going to have to take his eye out. And we're going down to Miami with that on our minds, and uh, we're playing the radio. And Brody has a song that he wants to play on, this, on, on the CD. And he's like, Mimi, play this song, play this song, play this song. And we played it over and over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? You know how kids are. They get a song in their mind, right? And they just want to keep. And it's like, oh, if I hear that song one more time, it's going to drive me crazy. But in this particular sense, or in this particular day, <clears throat> even though I was aggravated with playing it over and over again, tears came to my eyes. I want to read you the words to that song. Anybody Toby Mac fans? Well, Brody's a Toby Mac fan, and it's one of Toby Mac's songs. And here's why it brought tears to my eyes, because this little guy's singing along. I don't know, he's three, maybe four, and he's singing along this song. Here's what he says. You turned away when I looked into your eye. Or you turned away when I looked in you in the eye and hesitated when I asked if you were all right. Seems like you're fighting for your life. But why? Oh, why? Wide awake in the middle of your nightmare, you saw it coming, but it hit you out of nowhere. And there's always scars when you fall that far. We lose our way, we get back up again. It's never too late to get back up again. One day you're going to shine again. You may be knocked down, but not out forever. Lose our way, we get up again, back up again. So get up, get up. You're going to shine again. Never too late to get back up again. You may be knocked down, but not out forever. I can still hear the little guy blurting out on that chorus. And I'm thinking, man, right when life kicked his little gut, he's singing, but you got to get back up again. And by the way, ever since, he's got back up again. And we thank the Lord for that. And we're grateful for that. But I'm pretty sure that some in here this morning, maybe not cancer, maybe not losing an eye, but in some way or another, there's been a moment, and maybe it's even right now, when you feel like life has just kicked you in the gut, knocked you down, and you're wondering, can you get back up again? And somebody says to you, oh, you got to go on. And you're like, yeah, I'd like to go on. I don't know how to go on. You need to move forward. I I'd like to move forward. I don't know how to move forward. We get there sometimes. If ever there was a group of people who must have felt kicked in the gut and wondering if they could get back up again and move forward, it was Jesus' early disciples. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, or the last couple of weeks, we talked about the fact that Jesus had, had, had proclaimed to his followers that he was about to start a movement. You remember Caesarea Philippi? 
And it was there where he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter made that incredible statement of faith when he said, you're the Christ, the anointed of God. You're the one who is the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter, and only God could have shown you that. And then he made a statement that was powerful. He said, upon this rock, upon this statement of faith, upon this truth that I am the Messiah, the anointed one, I'm going to build a following. And there's going to be a movement and I'm inviting you guys to be a part of that movement. It must have been an exciting day when they came off the slopes of that hill. It must have been an exciting day when they heard that and when they thought, oh, finally the Messiah has come. But how do you think it felt when just a short time later, they watched him hang on a Roman cross, executed before the entire world, and their dreams washed out? How do you get back up again? How do you move forward? How do you go on when it seems like everything has failed? If ever there was an opportunity for this young movement to be destroyed or at least thwarted, stamped out, it was at that moment when Jesus died. And I know they had a resurrection, but what about those three days? What about those times? How do you get back up again? How do you move forward? And that's really kind of what we're talking about for the next six weeks. How to move forward. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, in case you want to read ahead sometime. It's, it's the history of the church. And here's why it's interesting to me. I have people ask me sometimes, because we're a church plant, because we're kind of a, you know, a relatively new church, I get asked this a lot. How old is your church? How old is your church? If I asked you this morning, how old is your church, what would you say? Some would say, well, I have no idea. Some of you who are from the beginning might get close or might be round figures. I'm not really sure, but I get asked that question a lot. Can I tell you how to give an answer for that next time? When somebody asks you, if somebody asks you, how old is your church? You really want to see their eyes bug out. Tell them, oh, roughly 2,000 years old. (laughs) But it really is, right? Because the history of the church is the history of our church. Because we're just a part of the movement, of the gathering. We're just a part of what started 2,000 plus years ago when Jesus gathered his disciples together and said, I'm going to build a gathering and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. And now 2,000 plus years later, guess what? He is still building a gathering And he's inviting you and I to be a part of it. Why should we? It's a little bit about what we want to talk about. Why should we want to be a part of a movement? Why should we want to move forward? Why should we care? I think there's a lot to be learned from this incredible, incredible study. Now, here's the thing. Someone said it rightly. They said, someone wrote, a theologian wrote and said these words in, in, in essence. He said, what we know of the church right now is incredible. We know that the church is over 2,000 years old, has millions of followers over its history, has changed the world landscape, has changed literally the history of the world, the direction of the world, millions and millions of lives. And it all started with a small group of followers who you would have least expected to be the leaders in that day. Fishermen, 
tax collectors, zealots, <laughs> not many educated in the group, <clears throat> not many in the group that you would point out and say, no, there's a leader. And yet those few people over a span of about 30 years turned the world upside down and began the movement that Jesus had talked about at Caesarea Philippi that we're a part of today. So what I want us to do today is look at that first decade. Look at those first 30 years. There's three big events that take place <clears throat> that give birth to the church. All right? There's three things, three events that give birth to the church, to our church, if you will. I want to look at them. They're found in the book that we call Acts. So if you have your Bible and want to follow along, we're in Acts chapter 1. If not, it'll be on the screen. You can follow there, or I give you permission to use your phones in church or tablets and whatever. Acts chapter 1. I want us to begin to look at this. And here's three big movements that we're going to find. Okay? Three things. It'll be easy for you to do. Three big events. The first one, Jesus comes down. I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down, and the church moves out. The church goes forward. All right, three big events that change everything. Let's take a look at them. First of all, Jesus goes up. Beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Acts, we read these words. While he was with them, that is, while Jesus was with the disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, that you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So here's the setting. Jesus is just outside the city of Jerusalem. Now if you walk outside of Jerusalem over to the, through the eastern gate, you come to the valley of Kidron, the Kidron Valley. And just across this little valley, there's another slope of a, a relatively low mountain called the Mount of Olives. You've probably heard of it. And so Jesus has left the city with his disciples. He has a band of followers. Now, he's been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's been with them a few days. They've, they, they, they've come to that point where they felt like, well, we've been kicked in the gut. We're down. But now he's resurrected. And, okay, we're feeling better about things. And we've gotten back up. And, and okay, we can see the movement going because we thought he was dead. He was dead. But now he's come back to life. Everything's going to be cool. He's with us. The problem is, he's taking them out of the city to leave them. He takes them across the Kidron Valley. He takes them to the Mount of Olives. Some believe to the summit of the Mount of Olives. We don't know. Could have done that. It's not very high. And as he's there at the Mount of Olives, he begins to speak to them. And he says, now, none of this should take you by surprise. I've already told you about it. Look at verse 6. We'll pick up. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Hold on. I, this encourages me. You know what encourages me? Because the disciples still don't get it. Now, why does that encourage you, brother? Because there's times I still don't get it, right? There's times when things, when God does things in my life. I've been walking this life for a long time, and I've been studying this life for a long time, and I've been following this Christ for a long time, and there's still times that I don't get it. So it's kind of encouraging to me that these who were his closest followers, these who were the ones who were going to carry on his mission, they've seen his death, his burial, his resurrection, and they still don't get it. Because they come together, they're on the Mount of Olives, and they're thinking, why have you brought us out here? 
Oh, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Is this what you're going to do what you said? Now remember, uh, maybe you don't remember, maybe I should say, that in the disciples' minds, this Messiah, this, this ruler, this anointed one of God, was going to come and rescue the Hebrew people. He was going to smash the Caesars in Rome and destroy the Roman Empire and set up a throne in Jerusalem and rule and reign from Jerusalem. And Israel would once again have a place of great prominence. They always believed that. And frankly, that's why they were following him. They wanted to be a part of that movement. They wanted to be part of that kingdom. You remember on the way they were asking, they even fought over who would sit on his right hand and who would sit on his left hand. Who would be first and most important in the kingdom? In other words, who would be Secretary of State? Who would be Secretary of Defense? Who would be Vice President, if you will? They were arguing over that, and Jesus looked at him and said, Don't you understand, whoever's the least will be the greatest, and the greatest will be the least. They, they didn't get it. Later they would say to him, Now, the, the, the Lord, when you come into your kingdom, will you... He, well, no, no, wait, you don't get it. And here at the end, still, they don't get it. Lord, okay, now, finally... Is now the time you're going to restore the king? Is now the time you're going to flatten Rome and establish your throne? They still didn't get it. Because look how he responds. His response is incredible. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, you don't get it. Uh, that, that's a simple explanation. You don't get it. Next verse. But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In that moment, he said to them, you don't get it, but you're going to get it. Something's about to happen. And when it happens, you're going to get it. And when you get it, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be the ones who start this gathering. You're going to start here in Jerusalem, and you're going to spread out to Judea, spread out to Samaria, spread out globally to the ends of the earth. I wonder if now they were thinking back to Caesarea Philippi. Is he saying that this gathering, this movement, is beginning with us? It's exactly what he's saying. And he's saying, I'm going to empower you to do that. Verse 9, here it goes, watch. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching in a cloud, took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Those two men, I'm supposing angels. This same Jesus who was taken away from you into heaven will come the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. First big moment. Jesus goes up. I want you to think about that just a moment. If we're in that day, we're those disciples, how do we feel about that? Do we feel like, here we go again. Uh, hello, we're fishermen and tax collectors. Uh, we're commoners. We're not world leaders. We're not movement makers. How do we move forward from here? How do we go forward? It looks to me like we have no leader. Our leader has just 
left us. Now the good news is, if they listened carefully to what he said, and I think they did, they had to realize that while their leader had left them, he had not left them alone. There's a difference, right? He had left them, but he did not leave them alone. He said, I'm going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is coming. Now, they'd already, he'd already talked about this Holy Spirit. We'll see it later in just a moment. But, but he says, I'm, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. And he goes into heaven. Now, can I just put pause right here, hit a pause button right here, and, and say something that I think is pretty significant? Do you realize that this is telling us that the church began, the church began this movement, this gathering, this church began to move forward without the tangible, visible evidence of Jesus with them? You ever thought about that? Their leader, as they had known him, where they could touch him and feel him and see him and hear him, he's gone. And yet the church is going to go forward. I'll tell you how in just a minute, but I want to make that note. And here's why I want to make that note. How many times, let's just be honest, church. And I'm talking to church people right now. If you're not a church people, you may not understand this completely. And it's okay. You can just check out for two minutes and then come back with me. But for church people, how many times have we thought that the movement and the forward progress of a church is dependent upon a man? Come on, let's be honest. How many of you thought, oh no, our pastor has left. What are we going to do? Come on. Or how many of you thought, oh no, so and so left. What are we going to do? Can I tell you something? Listen to me carefully. The movement and the power and the going forward of the church is not dependent upon the presence of a man, but upon the presence of God. And that, my friends, is why we can get back up. That's why the church can move forward. Because it's not dependent upon any man. Now, that's a humbling thought for some of us. Because some of us think that everything would just die and fold up if we left. Now, I'm not telling you to leave. Don't misinterpret me. I hope somebody don't get mad and say, well, I'm leaving then. I don't want you to leave. I'm just telling you. There was an old friend of mine when I first moved to Branford, and uh, you guys might know him. This old friend of mine that was so important to me in my early days at my, this church in Branford that I was at. And, uh, man, he would, just, he would just talk to me all the time. He'd, he'd come get me every day. He'd say, come here, preacher. I want you to go visit with me. And he'd introduce me to this person, that person, the other. And, and I just had a, a great relationship with him. And one time, I remember, I was a young guy at the time. I mean, I was really young, like 31, 32. And, and, and I mean, that's young for a pastor of a pretty, pretty good church there. And, and I remember one time somebody very important to the church left. And I'm like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you know what he said to me? He looked at me with all of his aged wisdom, and he said, Preacher, one monkey don't stop no show. <laughs> Some of the best wisdom I ever got. One monkey don't stop no show. Now, I'm not sure how theologically that is, was put, but the truth of the matter is, it is not dependent upon a man. Why, even Jesus was not visibly, tangibly present with them. He left, and they were like, oh no, Jesus is gone. He's moved to another church. What, well, no. What are we going to do? And to quote Toby Mac, they decided we're going to get back up again. Right? We're going to move forward. So Jesus goes up. Second big moment. 
the Spirit comes down. Let's pick up reading um, in chapter 2, if you will. I know that's skipping a few good verses, and you can go read those later. But for my point, I want to skip over to chapter 2 and look at verse number 1, beginning there. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, hold on a minute. What is the day of Pentecost? Anybody know? Pentecost was a feast. The Jews had three major festivals throughout the year when they would all come to Jerusalem to observe the feast. If any way possible, you made the trek to Jerusalem to be a part of the feast. And one of those was the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of, later called Pentecost, because it was 50 days after the Passover feast. Okay? So you had Passover 50 days, 50 in Greek, Pente. Pentecost, 50 days after. So this feast is now in Jerusalem. So we know it's been about a little over two months since Jesus had risen. A little over two months. And so Jesus is meeting, has gone to heaven. They're here in Jerusalem. I'd love to talk about what they were doing. In fact, let me just throw you the hint out there. Maybe you can talk about it in your small groups this week. What were they doing in those days between the time when Jesus left, went up, and the time that they gathered here at Pentecost? They were waiting and praying. Okay, that's a pretty good thing in itself. If I try to go there, we'll be way late getting finished. So let me just move on. They're at Pentecost some 50 days later, and they're in an upper room. They gathered together somewhere in Jerusalem. And as they're in Jerusalem, something happens. The Spirit comes down. Watch what happens. Verse 2, it says, Suddenly, first of all, they heard something. They're in this upper room. First of all, they hear something. They said, Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from the heaven, and it filled the house where they were staying. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure they're shaking in their boots about now. Any of you been close to a tornado? All right, we have them around here. I remember, I, only, as long as I've been in Florida, native Floridian, I can only remember one time when I thought we were going to get hit by a tornado. And it was me and Beth. We were living in the house that we live in now. I came home from Gainesville. I could see to the west this black, 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 black as this curtain cloud. I'm thinking, it's going to be bad weather. And I remember when that weather started coming in and moving in, and it started raining, and the wind started blowing, and it got pretty violent. And I said to Beth, I said, this is, looking, this is not looking good. And, 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 and suddenly we're talking back and forth to each other, and we're thinking... That, I think there's, this, is, this, is a, this may be a tornado coming. You know, we're both like, never done this before. And so what do we do? And we're looking at each other and we're thinking, we're going to die. Now don't laugh. You've been there. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of all the news reports with all that stuff, you know, and I'm thinking, we're going to die. What do we do? So we did the only thing we knew to do. We went to the bathroom and we got in the tub. Now don't laugh. You may be there one day. And when you do, you're going to think about us. So we're in the tub, right? We're in the bathtub, looking at each other, laughing. <laughs> now, we're about to die, but we're laughing. Because we're looking at each other saying, what are we doing? We don't even know what we're doing. We just heard that's what you're supposed to do. So get ready. And about that time, the laughing stopped. Everybody told me that when the wind got close, it sounded like a freight train coming through. We heard the freight train. And suddenly the laughing stopped and the ducking started. And that sound was frightening. Fortunately, it was gone as quickly as it came. 
and only some trees got knocked down. Obviously, we survived. <laughs> I tell you that so you'll know to get in the bathtub next time bad weather comes. But <laughs> point is, I'm wondering if on that day in Pentecost, it wasn't a similar sound. Shaken. Because look at the next verse. Not only did they hear something, they saw something. It says, they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Now that's a sight. Tongues like fire resting, separated and resting on each one of them. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't know if you're getting the picture. Here's the picture. If I look out of there this morning and I see tongues of fire over every one of you, I'm getting a little bit shaken. I'm, I'm beginning to think something's going on. And then they did something. Look at verse 4. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. So everything that Jesus had spoken about, they're starting to get it. Over in John's gospel, you may have to back up, Patty. I think I skipped this verse. But in John's gospel, uh, chapter 16, listen to this verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Nevertheless, he says, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Why? Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that word counselor is a reference to the Holy Spirit. If you read the entire chapter, that becomes evident. And Jesus actually looks at them and says, you know what? It's actually beneficial for me to leave. Now, how can that be? How can it be beneficial that Jesus leave? And he answers them by saying, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you are going to do even greater works than you can with me here. What? How can we do that? <laughs> well, the idea is not greater works in quality, but greater in quantity. Because now the Holy Spirit, now it's not just going to, uh, he's not just going to affect those who are immediately around him, those who are warming by the fire like Jesus when he was in body, but now the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you. And the very presence and power of God tabernacles in the life of the believer so that the power of God is spread, multiplied throughout the earth. And this movement that he talked about suddenly seems possible and doable. So the Holy Spirit comes down and fills them. The word there literally is controlled them. That's the idea empowered them now if I could stop here and I don't have time to rest here long but I want to stop here and pull one little thing out like I did earlier can I just tell you something listen to me carefully this may encourage some of you listen God will never call you to anything he will not equip and empower you to accomplish I know you don't you may not trust me on that one yet but trust me if he calls you to do something, he will equip you and empower you to do what he calls you to do. You know why that's important? <laughs> it's important because I don't know how many times God has spoken into our hearts about something. And I've said to him, God, I could never do that. 
You know what I'm saying? I remember, I, I don't remember a lot of things from my childhood. Uh, my mom says that it was a shame they wasted a lot of money on me, but uh, I don't remember anything, you know. And I, but here's what I do remember. I remember sitting by a fire at Camp Montgomery, just outside of Keystone Heights, Florida. I was sitting at Camp Montgomery with other people from our youth group, including my, not then my wife, but Beth was my girlfriend at the time. I don't know if she knew it at that time, but she was. Um, and I remember looking at that fire, and I know, now this is going to sound so strange to you guys, and if, it's, if it sounds strange, just bear with me a minute. But I knew, looking into that fire, that God was calling me to do what I'm doing this morning. I was 15 years old. But I knew that God was calling me to do what I'm doing right now. And you know my response to him was, oh, me of great faith? No way, Jose. I can't do that. I'm an introvert. I know you don't believe that, but I am, even now by nature. I can't do that. You know, my excuse to God was why I could not be a pastor, because I can't do funerals. I don't even like to go to funerals, let alone stand there and do a funeral. God has a sense of humor. I've done thousands, I'm sure, of funerals. My point is this. What I could not do and what I told God I could not do, he empowered me to do. Right? So, if, if, if I'm today a lousy preacher, blame him because I'm just using what he gave me. Okay? All I can say. He will empower you to do what he calls you to do. So when you sense God calling you to do it, and you say, I can't, never, be careful. God will empower you. And so the Holy Spirit comes down. And now the third thing, and I've got to hurry on. I'm taking too much time. The third thing I want you to see, the third big moment is the church then moves forward. That moment when the Holy Spirit came down, the church is born. And now it's going to move forward. Look at verse 5. It says, now there are Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Why were people from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem? Because it was the feast. See, God always has a plan. And even when we're not organized, he is. Look what it says, verse 6. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in their own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look... Aren't all of these speaking Galileans? Can I just translate for you very simply? You know what that means? Basically, they say, wait a minute. We're hearing these guys speak in our own language, and they're uneducated fishermen. How's this happening? They don't know our dialect. They don't know our language. Something's going on here. Verse 7, they were astounded. They're amazed. These are Galileans. They're untrained men. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. All they need to know is how to throw a net over the boat. There's more to fishing than that. Well, I just almost said something. I'm glad I didn't say thank you, Lord. They were amazed. Verse 8. <laughs> how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes. Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya. Wow. Near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own language. What a miracle. You see what happened here. Sometimes we get confused when we hear about tongues. Some of us hear different things about tongues. In this particular instance, anyway, listen to me carefully. The tongues that were spoken were the languages of the people because they heard it in their own language. I mean, think about it. That's like Toby going out of here and speaking French. Anybody going to look up at that? And say, I'm sure it's going to have a Swanee County accent to it, but it's going to be French. That's pretty incredible. What a thing. So the church begins to move forward. And did you hear what it said? It said, we begin to hear each of them speaking of the great works of God. So the mission of the church began. And the church moved forward. Even though Jesus had gone, even though their whole idea about what was going to happen was changed, even though everything was different than they had perceived in their minds, when Jesus went up and the Spirit came down, the church moved forward. Man. That gives me a new spark to my prayer life, right? Jesus, you've gone up. You've sent your Spirit down. I pray that we will move forward. Do you understand, Pastor Eddie? We've been knocked down, I know. We've been kicked in the gut, I know. I've been hurt by church, I know. Somebody in the church, if you just knew what they... I know. People in the church, I know. But let the Spirit of God move in your heart and fill you with the fruit that he brings and let the past go and let's move forward let's go forward let's be determined that we're not going to stay where we are we're going to move forward now this much I know I know that most of us don't like change <laughs> now don't worry I have no big announcements today the truth is, we don't like change. But can we really ever move forward without change? Can you really move forward in your marriage without change? No. Can, can you ever move forward in your career without change? No. Can you move forward in your aging process without change? No. Can you ever move forward? Can we ever move forward as a church without change? Nope. Won't happen. But let me just kind of drill this down in the last minute that I have to say this. The church only moves forward. The orchard, let's, can, can we really drill it down? The orchard only moves forward as you and I move forward. Truth of the matter is, sometimes when we talk in a group like this, we get group text syndrome. You know what I'm saying? You get a group text. Anybody else get group text? 
You get group text and somebody comes on that group text and say, hey, I need whatever. I need somebody to give me a ride, whatever. And everybody gives this ding, 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 going off on their phones and about 30 people in this group get the text. And so what happens? Nobody responds. Why? Because everybody thought that the message was for somebody else. And somebody will take care of that. Sometimes we in the church get group text syndrome. And because we stand up and we say something general like, oh, we've got to move forward, we think, oh, yeah, well, somebody else will take care of that. But that's my call, and that's your call. That's to us as individuals. And so my plea to you as we begin this new series is to see what, what incredible history we have as a church and how God has moved the ball forward from that band of disciples who felt kicked in the gut there on Mount Calvary when Jesus died and who wondered how they would get up, how God took that 30, those group of men, and moved them to begin this movement. And then how they passed the baton to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation until somebody passed the baton to me and my generation. And frankly, to you, or if you're younger, we're trying to pass it along to you. My grandkids, two of my grandkids, uh, three of my grandkids run track. And I was at a track meet the other day, and I was watching the relay, and I love the relays. But guess what? That relay is only as strong as the people the baton is handed off to, right? Who, who is receiving the baton from the last or previous generation? We've got to pass it, friends. We've got to pass it along. So here's the takeaway. Let me give you this, and I've got to finish, although I'm having a blast. The church moving forward, here's what we want to capsulize. The church moving forward means you're moving forward. It means we're moving forward. If we're not moving forward, the church is not going to move forward. And that starts with the orchard, but guess what? That goes beyond us to every other church in this community who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are on mission with us, not against us. That's another whole message. I am, so, I am so fatigued with all the competition between churches. Heaven forbid we're all on the same team, moving the same direction, in the same mission. We just have different areas of influence. And it only moves forward as you move forward. The orchard only moves forward as we're willing to move forward. We have a new little thing. You know, sometimes we come out with these little value sayings that, that we kind of pass along to you so you'll know our heartbeat and you'll know where we're doing. We, we came up with, an, with another one that's so real to us. And, and here's what we discovered. And see if you would agree with us or see if you would try, kind of fall into this pattern with us. Here's what we decided. Change isn't scary. Standing still is. Can I say that one more time? Change isn't scary. You say, well, I don't know about you. It's scary to me. Well, it shouldn't scare us. If we're changing, that's a good thing, likely. Because the only way we can move forward is to see change. Change isn't scary. What's scary or what should be scary to us is standing still. Because if we're standing still, we're going to start sliding backwards. And that's not good. So I'm asking you 
and let's move forward. I found a quote from Walt Disney. I love Walt Disney. Listen to what he said. He said, there's really no secret about our approach. We keep moving forward. This is a guy has been pretty successful, right? Or was. There's really no secret about our approach. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. We're always exploring and experimenting. We're called up imagineering. The blending of creativity and imagination with technical know-how. Walt Disney. What a thought. If we could always allow our creativity and imagination, ideas that God bursts into our hearts, become reality. And if it brings change, it doesn't scare us because we're moving forward. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. God, thank you for this word that you've given us and the blessing of your record of the history of, this, of the church, of our church, and for reminding us again that no matter how many times we get kicked down, we just get back up again. In the power, the strength of our living Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit whom he sent. Now, Lord, I pray that in the next five weeks as we explore this wonderful history of the church, you would guide us. And you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, that this would become important to us, not just informative, but transformational. Change our hearts. God, thank you for calling me to be a part of this massive, gigantic movement. As small as my part may be, God, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it and to serve. And thank you for allowing me to serve right here in Live Oak, Florida, Swanee County, Columbia County. And thank you for the people who partner with me to make all this happen. I thank you for every one of them, Lord. And I plead with you, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit may come upon us in power and with great authority. And that, O oh Father in heaven, you would move us forward. Don't allow us to sit and soak. Don't allow us to sit in complacency. Don't allow us to sit on past successes or wallow in past failures, but prod us to move forward. Maybe the most important part of this service right here, right now, because I, I want to encourage you to ask God, what's your part? What's your role in this movement? He's inviting you to become a part of it. Will you say, yes, Lord, I'll be a part of it. It'll change your life forever. So, God, thank you for the invitation. And now, Lord, we accept in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.